All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 172. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about in college football. I'm your regular co-host, Bob Akairi. I'm going to be joined by Andrew Sagona, our regular contributor. Um, I hope all of you had great holidays. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I have absolutely lost my voice. I don't know how, but we're here. Let's talk some college football. Let's let's enjoy every second of this. So I see Andrew's here. I'm going to go ahead and let him up, um, and we'll start this going. I see John's already requested. I hope everyone's had a good holiday. I'm here in my wonderful hometown of Bakersfield. Uh, it's been a good weekend. Um, I honestly did not do anything that should have made my voice leave me, but I think I got a little sick, and right there, my voice decided to take a holiday. But We'll keep this going. Lots of stuff to talk about. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing tonight? A lot better than you, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Man, I did not realize how bad you sounded. Good Lord. Yeah. So, um, oh, by the way, of, co- of course, I should say we've got some games going on right now. Minnesota, well, earlier today, beat Bowling Green. Um, Texas State, and I love it, Minnesota beat Bowling Green to go to six and seven because they were the only five-win uh, five team that was let into the uh, bowl system this, uh, this season. Um, Texas State just beat Rice. We have a reporter in that stadium, and his tweets have been hilarious because apparently the Texas State fans are downright voracious when it comes to booze. So they've been all over that stadium by the third quarter they ran out. By halftime, they were running out, but they drank the entire SMU stadium, Harold Ford Stadium, completely out of their beer. So it was a complete victory for Texas State, their first ever bowl game. They won it, and they won the, uh, they won the beer bowl against Rice. So all I got to say is we got to get Texas State scheduled for LSU. We got to get them scheduled for Wisconsin, Texas State, like for reals, they are an absolute powerhouse with this this uh, this drinking scene thing. But meanwhile, we got the guarantee rate bowl. Kansas and UNLV are tied, so that's kind of where we're at right now in college football um, at the moment. But there's a lot more going on than that. Hey, John, what's going on? Hey, man, um, I, I gotta go. Agree uh, with Andrew here. I, I definitely sound a lot better than you do tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Again, it's embarrassing. I have no idea what happened to my voice, but it just decided to go. It decided to go on holiday. It opted out. I guess it knew it was bowl season, so my voice said, "Nah, I'm not playing in this one, Haas." And opted out. But <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I thought you were maybe at the Texas State game. That's from how you're sounded. <laughs> but uh, hey, my question, you know, and either you or Andrew can uh, answer because I know you're. Maybe a little bit rafty right now, but um, I know it's weird to at, talk about Colorado and Deion Sanders in the middle of bowl season. But I saw something very interesting on um, you know, the Reddit page this week, and in which that regards of how Dion recruits. Um, and anyone who has didn't see the post is Dion Swafsey he recruits in a 40-40-20 method, where she goes for forty percent grad transfers, forty percent undergrad transfers, and then twenty percent of high school recruits. Uh, I guess my question for you and anyone else that wants to come up and, and discuss it is that do we do we think that that could possibly be the future of recruiting for a lot of other Power Five programs if it's not already? Um, I I can see the viability in it. I, I think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of possibilities in that in that model, especially when you're 
you're, you're recruiting more proven players versus high schoolers. So I'm just, I, I thought that was interesting. I'm just kind of curious what you guys think of that whole uh, recruiting philosophy. Well, you kind of hit it dead on the nail there. Um, you're, you're looking for proven commodities. I mean, you can be a five-star blue chipper all you want in high school, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't pan out. And then to take UCF, for instance, you had a three-star tight end who ended up playing quarterback, Blake Bortles. So you don't know exactly what you're going to get uh, when, it, when they're coming out of high school. I mean, the, the optimist glass half full person to me wants to kind of keep a balanced system of transfers and high school. But I realize if Deion Sanders has success with this system, the 40-40-20, everyone is going to start copying it. I mean, uh, take Texas State, for example. Uh, they had a ton of transfers as well. They got to their first bowl and they won and apparently outdrank Rice. Uh, that might not be a challenge. So, I got to say, out drinking rice, I don't know. But, hey, I just want to I want to echo that. They were the second highest transfers um, this season. Like, all everyone was paying attention to Dion's roster, but, like, I think it was, like, somewhere in the mid-40s was exact how many transfers that they got on that, that G.J. Kinney program at Texas State. So they're, like, the success story, but they kind of, for better or worse, probably for better, got overshadowed by what was going on with Dion. Yeah, I mean, look. I mean, look at Tulane. I mean, Tulane is there's there's a a go to success story about regarding the portal. I mean, Tulane is it. I mean, that program that was, if I'm correct, one in eleven at one point, and then with you know with the transfer portal, flipped the team around, beat USC in the bowl game that year, and then up to this year, I mean, you know, essentially almost ran the table again, and almost got to another um, um, New Year's Six bowl for a second year in a row. I mean. I, yeah, I, like you said, Andrew. I mean, if De- I think if Dion really, you know, if he's successful, and this is the method he uses, I think it's be, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how recruiting uh, ends up because of uh, because of that. I mean, it makes me wonder if more if more G five programs end up getting more high school recruits because of that, and maybe the talent pool maybe starts to you get a little more parity in the talent pool. But yeah, just just a very interesting thought. I noticed this week. Yeah, absolutely, and you know. Um... I think one thing I would caution is no one's entirely certain what works at this point. It's only been, you know, it hasn't been enough years for anyone to have come up with the magic formula. So, I mean, there's some, I mean, I remember everyone was saying you can't really transfer the linemen. They're harder to get. You kind of have to build them. And then Dion runs out and like immediately after all of these articles were being written, grabs several linemen, of course, how they play in unison. Can they play as a group? You know, we'll see how it goes. There's so much TBD right now that, I mean, for every, I mean, the last two Heisman quarterbacks were both transfers. Um, one was a first-year transfer, and now this year, uh, you know, all three of the quarterbacks were second-year's uh, transfers. It's going to be really interesting to see each year that passes. I mean, we're probably watching, you know, a guy like Dion also learning on the fly. He's saying what he's doing now. But he isn't, I, I mean, you know, he's not stupid. If it's not working, they'll probably adjust it as they move on. But, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And for better or worse, we're living in interesting times because in so many different ways, so many different ways, things keep changing. And it's not just transfers. It's, you know, everything from the rules of the game to the conferences 
to how p- players are being compensated. It's utterly fascinating. Andrew, I know you wanted to, to follow up real quick. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, as I was thinking about this, I remembered the, I think it was West Virginia court, where it has the restraining order on the NCAA for uh, for the one-year sit rule for uh, second-time plus transfers. Man, if that restraining order made, is made permanent and or the NCAA decides that it's not going to have that uh, transfer sit-out year rule again, oh, boy, the transfer portal is going to be gas is going to be gasoline on a lit fire it'll be interesting to see what would happen if that if that occurred yeah absolutely of course i always say you know as long as coaches can do that it's kind of i feel a little bit more my my heart's a little more towards the players and that kind of argument only because i mean we've seen that i forgot oh his name slipped my mind but you know i remember the coach who goes he was at tulsa goes to Pitt for one year and then immediately goes to arizona state you know, I mean, imagine if you're a player at any of those three programs. Now, of course, they have the rule where they don't have to, that it, they can get a free transfer if their coach leaves. But I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. But at the same time, if the players aren't happy where they're at, do you really want them there if they're the type that aren't going to wait it out? Because it was a, there was actually a good article in The Athletic uh, sometime in the last couple of days. I ended up reading it today about the quarterback that's actually starting for USC against Louisville in the Holiday Bowl. He's been there for like a couple of years. He's kind of was forgotten, but he never transferred. Like they recruited him. He comes in, he backs up, you know, Caleb Williams. And then, you know, they get Malachi Nelson, who's, you know, a five-star guy ahead of him. And now, you know, Caleb Williams is going to play. Malachi Nelson's transferred out. And he knows they're still actually clearly actively trying to get a, uh, a transfer quarterback. You know, Will Howard keeps coming up. And they're trying to get a transfer quarterback at USC. But no, this is this kid. I think his last name's Moss. This now this is his time to go play. So there's going to be players like that. But no, I, I agree. We're going to see a lot more movement. Hey Trey, you've been really patient. What's on your mind? Uh, since we're talking about transfers, I was wanting to speak my mind about my Ole Miss Rebels. I mean, Lane Kiffin's done a great job, and Pete Golden's also done a great job. I just want to. What do you think our chances are as just contenders for the national championship next year? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, the Peach Bowl is such an exciting matchup because you've got Penn State. You've got Ole Miss. I heard, I think it was Pat Forty, nickname it the Glass Ceiling Bowl, because there are two programs that do well and then seem to always hit some something where they just can't quite get past, you know, obviously uh, Georgia and Alabama for Ole Miss or uh, Ohio State and Michigan for Penn State. But I think both teams, I mean, and I, it's not rocket science to see both of those teams are going to benefit from the expanded playoff starting next year because this year Ole Miss would have been in the playoff. They would have been, you know, there's a question. I think technically it would have been Georgia, but they think they would have maybe played some magic to swap some of the teams just so that you don't get a, an SEC, you know, first-round game and might have swapped it so they play Ohio State or something. But um, so they've, they've got enough, you know, to get there. I think really it's tough when you've got, like, legendary coaches on the other side. Nick Saban, you know, say whatever you want. Uh, the guy, is his results were in question. You know, this season in particular, um, his ability to rely on, on changes and trust Tommy Reese to, like, tweak that offense until it really looked terrifying um, is, is something else. But I think, you know, if Ole Miss, you know, they're – 
they seem to have the ability to be a program where if maybe not each year be going for the national championship, you know, regularly, like a couple of years, they'll always have that, that program that can move forward. And certainly Lane Kiffin figured out, like <laughs> he was one of those guys that when the transfer portal arrived, he was like ready for it. NIL, he was ready for it. Like the stuff that he was generating, just his online personality, which is, by the way, quite different from his in-person personality. He's quite a mild guy if you ever interview him. If he doesn't want to be like, entertaining he absolutely is not entertaining like it's it's a remarkable difference with with his personality because he's smart i'm not going to say it's because he's being a jerk he's he doesn't he, he knows when it's worth it but um you know i think old miss with what they're doing with lane kiffin at the helm they certainly have that ability to at least every you figure every couple of years have a a year where they could challenge and even if the way I look at it for, for Ole Miss, and I keep bringing up Penn State only because they're so similar and they're playing each other, there's going to be a year, you figure, where they get into the playoff and, you know, Georgia or Alabama has a bad, you know, playoff round, so they get eliminated by a promising program from another division, from another conference, and then Ole Miss might actually be able to keep moving. So suddenly you see Ole Miss moving up to the quarters or the or the semis um, when, you know, one of those other programs didn't make it. So, it seems more favorable only because part of the reason I also like the playoff is you get comp theoretically, you get these programs out of their conferences. So you start to see, okay, well, when Michigan isn't playing, you know, strong defenses with so-so offenses, how are they going to do? And we're going to see that with Alabama, especially when we see them, you know, with that matchup with um, Jalen Milrow. But I think the future, it should be optimistic, particularly if you're a fan of uh, if Ole Miss because it seems like this system should be one that will give them more opportunities. Andrew, I know you wanted to add to this. Yeah, um, I just took a quick scroll through uh, Ole Miss's uh, schedule for next season. And, I mean, if you win the games that you're supposed to win, and I, I think I did the math, and I think seven of the teams that you're, you're facing next season had losing records, uh, losing records this season. You have a pretty decent, pretty easy start to the season. You've got Middle Tennessee at home, then you're at Wake Forest, then you're back home against Georgia Southern. And you've got uh, powerhouses such as South Carolina, Arkansas, and Florida. No, no offense to any of those fan bases. Um, so, yeah, if you can – do well and you know get to nine or ten wins you know as Bobak mentioned you have the expanded playoff um who knows what could happen and once you get into those one game playoffs you know things just go completely out the door uh you never know if you can pull an upset against a georgia or an alabama if you run into them or uh Florida State or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I wanted also just, I saw we had a comment in the, because uh, if you want to just send us a message, you can just hit a, uh, I guess a, they've got like a comment window on this. Um, and uh, Ski Masks Murphy, who's a regular guest, he's unfortunately, um, he, he couldn't join us, but he added a question because he wanted to talk a little bit about, obviously, FSU's in the news with their um, challenge to the ACC grant of rights and the Michigan allegation. Michigan allegation, there's nothing really new there. It's actually the uh, it's the old allegation that they, um, at the beginning of the season, self-imposed the uh, three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. It was all over uh, contact during the COVID uh, no-contact 
period. I mean, it's ages ago. I mean, we're literally talking about like a cheeseburger or something. But um, that that was the new allegation with Michigan. New is a relative you know, way of saying it. The NCAA just charged them on that. And of course, we're not going to hear any kind of results on that until well after the season is concluded. If, again, I, I doubt it's going to have any impact on this upcoming uh, playoff. But uh, going over to the kind of the bigger question, uh, the hotter question right now, which is F, uh, F, pardon me, F, FCC. Boy, I combined them both. That's really funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, Florida State and the ACC. I mean, obviously they're challenging the grant rights. This isn't a huge surprise. I think all that happened was the timeline and the, uh, I would say, the internal sort of politics of FSU's fan base all got aligned really fast when they didn't get into the playoff and looking for things to blame other than the CFP committee. The fact is they thought, you know, well, if Alabama had the same thing happen, you know, their quarterback get injured, they're 13-0, they would have still been allowed in. So they, they think, oh, this is the ACC, which to some extent could be. I'm not saying that's a, um, an incorrect assession, uh, statement. But back in, for those of you who were paying attention in the offseason, because we talked about it a bit here, and also, and I'm not saying you had to listen to us, but, you know, those who are really in the offseason news, the ACC has been, I mean, FSU has been kind of hinting that they were really intending this ever since about February of last year, um, when during some of their board of trustee meetings, they had uh, statements that were made publicly that were not happy with the current financial model of the ACC. We're seeing what the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be making in money. And, you know, the way it's been summarized is we're going to be making $30 million less than Vandy, which in their mind sounded crazy considering the way FSU sees itself and, and the way FSU performs as a football program. So the problem is, and I, I kind of was joking when I realized how bad my voice was, that have you ever woken up from, and I didn't get like really drunk, but I mean, like, have you ever woken up from such a bender that you find out you signed something like the ACC grant of rights deal? And, I, you know, because I mean, it's, they, they make it sound like they were, they were forced into this. It's like, no, they had their high-end attorneys as part of this negotiation. All, all of the schools did. And they agreed to some incredible statements. By the way, I, I, some of you may have heard this, but the grant of rights, the reason the media is so bad at reporting on it it's because no one can see it. It's only one copy, and it's at ACC headquarters. I mean, like the, uh, the comparisons to some of the movies like National Treasures Stilling the Declaration of Independence. It isn't without merit, you know, to see this thing. You actually have to go there. They don't let you, let you make copies. So their teams of lawyers have to go to the ACC headquarters and basically say, like, can we see this paper? Um, they agreed to that. For the record, they agreed to that. Everyone in this agreed to this. Um, and suddenly they want out. Now, I'm not saying they can't get out. So what they've done is they filed an attempt to say that it's unenforceable. Um, I don't want to get too into the weeds of it because honestly, that's really all you need to know. I mean, I'm a lawyer by trade. So is Andrew, but we, you know, as lay people, as real people, you know, normal as you, as normals, um, you would not, all you need to know is they're trying to say it's unenforceable. Can they make it work? I don't know, but with the money at stake, and here's, a, by the way, the crazy thing. I, 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 the number that kept getting thrown out is they owe $120 million if they leave. And that's only, I now realize it's only part of it. $120 million is like the base amount they have to go. But then they also still don't get back their media rights because the grant of rights, what it does, the, it does what it says in the tin. You know, It grants all of their home sports media rights 
to a partner that is negotiated on behalf of them by the ACC. So they've negotiated all their home games. If you pay $120 million and get out, it doesn't mean you get your home game rights. You still have to then negotiate for your home team rights. So that could suddenly add an incredible amount of money on top of it. That's why some of these numbers being bandied about are like $200 million. So that's why, yeah, the attorney's fees to see if this is feasible are worth it because if you can get it ruled unenforceable, then suddenly you have a way out. Andrew, I know you wanted to add a bit to this. Oh, uh, Andrew, did, uh, <laughs> did I lose you there? I was, sorry, I was trying to turn my mic on. This The Twitter app is very hard to deal with sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm also popping in more just to kind of uh, sub in because you're – you need to get some like uh, hot tea or something. Um, so, I I don't know where I heard where I heard this number, um, and I don't know if it's accurate or not. But someone was saying, like maybe in like the five hundred million dollar range, if they decided to break the grant of rights. Um, I mean, the the lawyer in the and I'm. Just to clarify, so I don't get in any trouble, I'm not an attorney yet. I'm not barred. I'm just a lawyer, which means that I've graduated law school. Florida bar, please do not suspend me or something for, for saying that. Anyway, the you have to imagine that the board of trustees at FSU has been debating this for, well, as Bob Ack said, there's, this has kind of been a long time in coming. The snub was just kind of the, the trigger. Um, and the whole, quote-unquote, so-called Power Five, I know what Boo Corrigan, or was it, I forget it, I don't know, no, it was um, not Boo Corrigan, uh, Hancock. Um, Bill Hancock, the executive director of the CFP. Thank you. Um, said so-called Power Five. And I know what he was talking about because for, I guess, legal reasons, they say that there is no such thing as a Power Five. They say it's an Autonomy Five. But the way it came out kind of gave extra incentive for FSU to say, we, we need to get out of here. So if the Board of Trustees makes a move like this, they're not going to do this without making especially clear that they have a good case. And I think however this turns out, someone is going to be a big loser. You know, either FSU has to stay in the ACC or pay a ton of money to do it. The ACC loses one of its high-profile programs and they start to crumble and other teams will start to break the grant of rights. Who knows? The only winner here are the law firms and, oh, those sweet, sweet billable hours. Billable hours, baby. Lawyers win. That's that's the way it always works for us. Um, you know, I got to say, one of the funnier things that came up, because you brought up the strength of the argument, and I have to say, you know, two things. I One thing I always tell people, whenever you're reading a news story about a lawsuit that was just filed, Please know you're reading one side of it. You're reading the plaintiff. The, the entire article is being written off the plaintiff's brief. So in this case, it's going to be written based on what FSU's lawyers are saying. And as lawyers, we get it. You say everything you can, even if it's not the, the best argument, you make all your arguments. You know, like, 
you make the strong arguments, you make the weak arguments. So some people were going through what FSU submitted and kind of picking out some of the more absurd things they said because they, they, they said, you know, they were really upset about the fact that Stanford and Cal and SMU were being asked to join because they were apparently, they were very clear that they were not on board, so they must have been outvoted. But um, they said, like, well, if you're looking at the results of this season, they shouldn't have let in Stanford and Cal. They should have let Oregon State. And part of me, you know, okay, all right, look, I, I, I feel bad about what's happening with Oregon State Wazoo. But Cal and Stanford are, are a little bit different in a lot of ways, and, and they certainly have their strengths. Um, but again, it's like it's the things you do, you know. And I have to say, you know, one of the I was reading over some of the comments on RCFB because those are usually the best part about it, right? And one fan, uh, and again, he's not even a, a fan of either of these schools. Um, he's a writer, haha. He wrote, you know, SMU just rolled up in a G wagon, leaned out the window, lowered their Gucci shades, and said be mad then um which if you know anything about smu that that is absolutely on on point <laughs> for that group but um andrew i know you wanted to, to add a little bit and john i see your hand up yeah i'll make it quick i see john um i was i was just gonna say that what was i gonna say um yeah just kind of following up bob x point about stuff that goes into the complaint which is the first thing that's filed I have seen some absolutely ridiculous things filed in complaints. Um, and I think the point of the whole um, them trashing on SMU, Cal, and Stanford is they're trying to show, and again, this is just me guessing. I don't know what's going on in their lawyers' heads, but my guess is they're trying to show that the ACC was operating in bad faith or whatever language you want to use to kind of say, look, they breached the contract first by diluting the media rights. So because they breached it first, we can, if just quick uh, contract law, if one, if someone breaches a contract before you do, then there's no penalty for that second group to breach and leave the contract. So I think what FSU is trying to say is because the ACC breached their whatever you want to call it, that means we're free to go. And if that's the case, then they can get out of that scot-free with maybe perhaps no money having to pay out. Um, but that, that'll be interesting to see if that ends up being what that was all about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can't help but hearing... Uh... Stallone and First Blood, you know, they drew First Blood, but anywho, um, John, what's on your mind, man? Well, I think, uh, Andrew, you said it before I do, but man, shout out to the billable hours, because that's going to be the only winner of this entire thing. It's a better chance of a national treasure movie being made about this bill, uh, this grant rights being stolen than the actual, this, this thing being overturned, at least in my opinion. But um, I was going to this mission about the, uh, about the uh, Michigan situation. I, I'll be honest. I doubt future Chicago Bears uh, coach Jim Harbaugh is going to care what about this whatever this cheeseburger allegation rules in about two to three years from now. So I, I think that's a complete nothing burger from this point for, forward. Yeah, no, we'll see. Uh, and I think yeah, the fact that this is going to be settled, you know, however many months or even years from now, it's it's nice. But I doubt it. If, if the other stuff hasn't been a distraction, especially the Connor Stallion stuff. 
that ain't going to be a distraction at this point heading into the semifinal. I mean, Alabama's a big enough distraction as it is. You know, um, I saw, uh, by the way, before I forget, it looks like Kansas is building up a heck of a lead. They're up 21-7 on UNLV in the guaranteed rate bowl. Um, and my voice is currently, I would say, doing all right in the second quarter, um, considering how many opt-outs I had in my vocal cords. But let's see here. I see we have Ice Devil of Carlsbad. He wrote into the comments. Suppose FSU, Clemson, UNC, and Virginia left the ACC. Would any remaining teams who wish to leave do so right away or wait a few years until the ESPN deal presumably ends? Okay, so there, there's a lot to kind of unpack there because the, uh, the way the deal is written, and this is where it gets kind of fascinating because part of the strategy the ACC had in adding the three teams was that by padding out the membership, even though the ESPN got a sweet deal out of this, it doesn't expire until 2037. Um, they can extend it to that point and uh, they can unilaterally decide, I believe after 2026 or something like that, to keep the contract going at the exact same dollar amount. So it's, it's a sweet deal for them. Um, I believe it was a trade-off for creating the ACC network, but one of the things, the way the contract was written, um, as long as the ACC keeps a certain number of members, they don't have to renegotiate the deal. Now, why does that, why is that in benefit to the ACC? If Florida State bails on you and Clemson bails on you, suddenly I think everyone can say the value of the conference is going to have dropped a little bit. But if they can't break it until X number of teams are there, having Cal and Stanford and SMU, suddenly you, you didn't drop below that number. So ESPN is still stuck paying you the amount they were before. So, you know, if you're, I'm not going to single out any team, but, you know, if you're one of the teams that isn't necessarily rushing to, to leave for somewhere because you know your value, um, that might be beneficial to you. Um, you know, he brought up another interesting point where if Florida State manages to successfully challenge the grant of rights, it is very well known that Clemson's going to want to come out as well. Um, you're going to get a lot of interest from, because over the summer, or actually over the summer, over the off season, we, uh, we heard that, you know, there were other programs also interested. UNC is a very valuable program just overall in all sports. So is UVA um, and Virginia Tech. Uh, Miami is always interested. So you'll get an interesting situation where, Certainly, there will be teams, and you have to remember, like there was a news report that came out um, in all of this that, oh, the SEC has not voiced that they're interested in Florida State. You know, there's some people there who say they're skeptical of it. I say, okay, that's good if you're the SEC because you want to say that. Because right now, we're still, we don't know what's going to happen here. The ACC is going to try to hold on to Florida State. And if one of the other conferences says, oh, we would give Florida State a home in the middle of this fight, then you open up a whole other range of lit potential litigation where those conferences could get sued for basically what amounts to well, you know, interference with, a, with the, the negotiations. Um, that's something that can be sued on and has been sued on in many other uh, industries. So we're not going to hear the Big Ten or the SEC say, oh, yeah, we'll totally take them. But if they were suddenly to become available, I guarantee you they'll start looking really hard. Um, and they will absolutely uh, – it will be interesting to see where they find a home, though. Some of the arguments for why Florida State would or would not be 
interested in the SC, why the SEC would be interested in them. They're interesting, but I think overall, if the dollar amount is there, they would absolutely take them. The Big Ten becomes interesting, not because they might take Florida State, but because I could see them getting into a bidding war with the SEC over like UNC or Virginia, because that brings them into new markets. Those are big enough names. Miami would be a fascinating one because they're, they kind of check a few boxes for the Big Ten. They're an AAU school, like the academic prestige thing, which FSU currently doesn't have. So, I mean, that would be the one I'd also be kind of interested in. And that would, honestly, on a personal note, that would fulfill my lifelong dream of seeing USC and Miami in the same conference because those two schools are basically the same school except on opposite coasts in so many ways. But, uh, Andrew, I know you wanted to add to that. And, John, I see your hand up. Uh, that's actually a very interesting lifelong dream. Um, <laughs> I I was just also going to mention um, – I need to start writing these down when I have ideas. Otherwise, I'm going to forget them. Uh, you know what? I forgot what I was going to say. So. <laughs> no worries, man. Hey, John, I see your hand up. What's on your mind? Yeah, no, no. By the way, as for my lifelong dream, dude, I came out of the womb. I didn't say, wow. I said, you know what? Here's my thought. USC, Miami, same conference. What do you think, Doc? You know, so go ahead, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I, actually, well, I did have a quick question. Um, just regarding speaking of conference ring alignments and stuff, just about Oregon State, Washington State. I know um, you probably saw as well. They moved a lot of their sports over to West Coast Conference, uh, minus football, which I thought was very interesting. And it seems like you can correct me. It seems like they're riding on a technicality, which lets them be Pac-12 members, sort of, for the next two years. So I'm just kind of curious what you think about that, and when you think they're uh, what what strategy they're going with, if there is any strategy. I guess it's it's, it's a really weird one. So. Uh... Bob, do you mind if I take this? I'll give your voice a little yeah, bit. No, of a man, break. go for it. My voice could use it. <laughs> so, the NCAA has a basically a grace period where if your school falls below, I want to say eight teams, um, if it falls below eight teams, you get two years where you can still operate as having a conference championship and all of the uh, wonderful things that come with being in FBS conference. You get two years to kind of pick up the pieces and figure something out. So for Oregon State and Washington State, you get two years of, of TV revenue from your contract, and you don't have to share that with anybody. You're splitting that 50-50. That is a ton of money coming in. Uh, you know, just I would have to hazard a guess and almost think that uh, they would be the highest paid teams in terms of TV revenue for the next two years in any of the conferences. Um, so they get to, they don't have to rush into, I don't know, you know, poaching the Mountain West or becoming Mountain West 2.0. It's a win-win for them to just kind of take the slow approach here. And that was their operating assumption, but then they went to the NCAA and asked them for an official clarification. And the NCAA did come out and say, yes, they, they interpreted right. They get two years, uh, two academic years. So that would mean 24-25 uh, and 25-26. They don't need to get better ducks in line until uh, July 1st, 2026. Uh, 
so they get to make a lot of money and kind of stash it in a rainy day fund. I would caution, though, that the uh, the Pac-12 is facing a lot of litigation that is going to also be inherited by the two remaining teams. Like, for example, the Holiday Bowl, uh, we were just talking about it elsewhere, is actually suing the Pac-12 because suddenly they've lost one of their uh, more reliable uh, sources of teams who they were contracted with. So there's going to be a bit of a mess. But at, for, at least for the short term, Oregon State Wazoo will get some money out of it. But um, you know, also, I see, James, we let you up. What's on your mind? Well, um, as an NC State fan, I, I have to apologize for the whole Florida State situation. Um, you know, we've beaten them the last three times we've played them, but we didn't play them this year. So if we had simply faced Florida State this year, we would have entered their whole undefeated season. And then none of this drama with the CFP would have been a thing. See, so this is, this is all your guys' fault. It absolutely is. Yes. We, yeah, we've, well, been just, we've been trying to be nice. We haven't brought it up because we, we respect the guys. But, man, well, I'm glad you said it. Yeah, well, it, and it's certainly not the fact that uh, Boo Corrigan, our AD, was the uh, chair of the CFP committee. Uh, oh, could you? I, and Boo always had the most, un, like, you felt bad for him because after they decided not to include Florida State, he has to go and defend it, you know? <laughs> and, you know, he's well, like, damn it. And he, I guess he couldn't even sit in for that discussion. Right. Well, that's that uh, I saw so many. Um, you know, folks blaming Boo Corrigan and by extension NC State for uh, the death of the ACC and and as though Boo would have either A, not voted for Florida State's inclusion or B, had some sort of sway on the rest of the committee to vote against Florida State in the room. Uh, it's ridiculous, but, you know, that's Florida State Twitter for you. Um, I, I, I don't know how much uh, you guys have looked ahead to some of the bowl matchups. And, of course, we've got a, a big one against K-State. Um, obviously, K-State's quarterback, Will Howard, is transferring out. And um, I've heard that their freshman quarterback, Avery Johnson, is a talent. But I don't know. I, I guess, you know, from the NC State perspective, we've only got one major opt-out in the form of Peyton Wilson you know, Brendan Armstrong is going to be in there, most of the offense, most of the defense. So I'm a little bit puzzled why K-State is favored and why ESPN has them predicted as a three-to-one favorite to win. I don't know. Have you had any chance to look at that game and, and give your thoughts? Well, let me jump in on that one, only because yeah, we were talking about who's going to go first. And, then, and it was before you got to the end of your question. I'm like, okay, I'll go first on this one. So I agree. It's a little weird that the that it hasn't moved much, especially with Will Howard looking. Avery Johnson's interesting. I mean, they've they've done some tries to kind of integrate him into the offense to uh, kind of mix up the looks because Will Howard is is a different type of passer altogether. Um, but quite honestly, I I would have expected NC State to be favored going into this. Um, I, I, it's a mystery to me too. I got to be honest with you, and I I know James that it's not. It's not just you. It's not just me. A lot of people are kind of like, are people, why is, you know, is K-State still favored in this one? I, I don't have insight to give you. I really don't. It's a mystery. I, I think trying to gamble uh, on bowl games is a fool's errand to begin with, but it just, it, it oh, does. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially if you're not the CFP, because at this point, I've talked about it last uh, week, bowl games are going back to what they originally were. 
which is exhibition games. Because mm. the original Rose Bowl in 1900, no one went, like Michigan wasn't invited because they were playing Stanford for the championship. They just wanted a big name to come. And then, you know, you got to go, enjoy warm weather. Oh, look, the Rose Parade was already in existence. Look at all these roses. Oh, look, you know, tell people back east, hey, you know, they grow flowers in winter in, in Pasadena. And then, you know, Florida got in on it. Hey, we got oranges in winter, you know. Hey, we got sugar in winter, which I don't know how that makes a difference. But, you know, <laughs> El Paso is smart. Sun Bowl. Hey, you know, they're one of the oldest bowl games, you know. Um, so they didn't count for the national championship until the 60s. And even then, it took a while for the coaches pull to come along. That's why you had the weird 1973 championship where, Notre Dame had beaten Alabama, or probably, um, I forgot how it worked out, but yeah, Alabama shared a title where they lost their bowl game because the coaches' poll went with the final poll and the AP poll went with after the bowls. And so Notre Dame had won their bowl game and Alabama had lost. And poof, suddenly you get a weird mixed title there. So we're getting to that era before the poll, before the bowls counted. You know, players would go have a good time, which I think they should, uh, have, you know, get a little silly. Um, but now it's like you're getting a version of the team you saw. You're not getting the exact version of it, but you're getting, you know, um, <laughs> you're getting, I wouldn't quite go, I wouldn't insult say you're not getting like a football product. No, you're getting a football game. But these teams are not quite what you saw for the regular season. In a way, you're getting an opportunity to maybe get a hint of next season. Of course, the transfer portal screwed with that quite a bit. Um, but you're getting an idea of what you're going to see next season, giving some of the young guys a chance to, to give reps. Frankly, you could almost move these to the spring and you'd get the same results where you get some, you know, upcoming players a chance to scrimmage and a game that doesn't really count. But, uh, you know, it's fun to see. Luckily, people keep watching them, so we're going to still keep having them. I mean, when they stop becoming financially, you know, financially worth it, then people won't. But, uh, Andrew, I know you wanted to add to this, this, this conversation. Yeah, I was going to take kind of the 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 Boot Corrigan angle. Um, I I've I've had the 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 good fortune and the uh, privilege of being able to sit in on the C, uh, the college football playoff uh, teleconference phone teleconferences that they hold each week after the uh, rankings are revealed, and I can say. I mean, he is a voting member of the committee, so he obviously diver- deserves some of the blame. But I do feel for Boo because he is the only person that talks to the public. Mm-hmm. So any vitriol, anger, what have you, he is their figurehead. He speaks for them. So he is the target of all of this. Even if he complains completely disagrees with what they said and we don't know he he doesn't speak for himself he speaks for the committee so who knows how he felt about the florida state thing um you know to your point it would make logical sense financially or in terms of conference prestige to have fsu be in the playoff as opposed to alabama but you, you you never know I I can tell you as an NC State fan and a lot of NC State fans felt the same way was as soon as he was named as chair of the CFP committee, we knew right away that that meant he was going to be basically handed, you know what, sandwiches every week trying to 
serve them up to the public. And that, I don't know, I guess there's an element of prestige of holding that position, but. Yeah, because they don't get paid. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what what someone in that position gets out of it other than, you know, the, the prestige of it. But it just. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, I knew that it was going to be a, a losing proposition because it is every year. And, and this year just happened to be kind of a whopper of a situation. So I, I feel for him. It is funny when I see people blaming him specifically for killing the ACC, because I think that's ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm you know, I, I'll just close on this by saying uh, I would watch out for NC State in that bowl game. It's our opportunity to get 10 wins for only the second time in program history and. We had a shot uh, during the COVID year when UCLA backed out of the ball at the last minute. Um, and I know that this team and the coaching staff is very motivated to get that 10th win. So this one has a little bit of extra motivation for NC State from that angle. I don't know that K-State has similar motivation going from eight to nine wins. Ten, 10 is kind of an arbitrary number, but it's it's a metric that a lot of um, people and, and coaches and fans look at as kind of a big deal. You know, the, the jump from nine to 10 in terms of prestige is different than eight to nine. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think you hit on one of the reasons why the, the, the non-CFP bowls are still useful because for recruiting, you know, winning nine wins certainly looks that, that exactly that's a sweeter number. You know, you get alumni who want to, you know, spend more. They're a little more likely to loosen their pockets and, and make some of those donations. So it does, it does have some payoff, even if the, the game is a little less meaningful. And I hope NC State is motivated to maybe find out what it means to eat whatever the Pop-Tart mascot that they're talking about is. You know, I, I, You've seen the trophy, right? Oh, yes. The trophy is a delight. It, for those who haven't seen it, it's, it looks like your fairly standard you know, college football bowl trophy. It's got a couple of silver-painted... Uh, pop tarts on the side, but the very top is a football on its side, or like kind of at a forty-five degree angle. But they've cut like a toaster two slots, so it can you can put pop tarts in the top of the trophy. That was a master stroke. Whoever came up with that? Now we were <laughs> promised that there would be an edible mascot. I, yes, I hope this is not the stand-in for that. I like, don't think so. No, people uh, will actually eat the the bowl hosts if that happens. We'll get straight yeah. up cannibalism no i i uh i'm really looking for i think everybody's this is this is like again whoever the people are who are doing the marketing for that bowl are at a whole other level and i give you know the the mayo bowl walked so they could run but you know they are absolutely kicking it up to the next level because there's some mascot and apparently at the end of the game they're being kind of vague about it it turns into an edible mascot i don't know what that means i don't know if they're going to roll out like the mascot's gonna oh oh what if it's a costume mascot it goes into a toaster oven at the end of the game which is a fake toaster oven you know and then they roll out the baked version of the mascot so to speak that would be brilliant i did did, did we just solve the mystery i think we I, may have we're like david know. blaine up in here <laughs> that would be that'd be wonderful. Yeah, the the mayo bowl is great this year because either Carolina is going to lose or Mac Brown is going to get dumped in mayo. So um, it's a win win either way for NC State fans. Oh, I thank love you. it. Yeah, thank you, John. I heard your voice, and then I know Andrew wanted to kick in on this. Yeah, I was going to say um, that's a great idea. But has anyone checked your temperature in the last thirty minutes? 
Look, I lost my voice. I feel fine otherwise, but no, this has just been merciless. I honestly, I have not lost my voice in so long. And um, yeah, no, it, it, it's a fun, it's a fun ride because I'll literally start talking to somebody and then my voice will break. Um, but uh, <laughs> Andrew, what's up? I was, I was just going to, you, you hit a lot of what I was going to say about this being the Pop-Tarts Bowl, but I, I am really hoping that this one sticks around for a while because I know this bowl has gone through a lot of names recently. It was the Cheez-It Bowl for a bit. Um, I don't know, because this was originally over in Arizona, then they moved this over here. Um, at least I think that's... I, I lose track of how these bowls are named and moved and stuff, but I'm, I'm hoping that this Pop-Hearts Bowl sticks around for a while because... It's it's just the mean potential is off the charts, uh, and being from Orlando, I'm I'm always happy for there to be more football uh, held in Orlando, especially over at the Citrus Bowl, which does not get used all that often. You know, I've said it before. I really kind of hope. Uh, my dark idea is that it's a mascot that has like a costume part that you can eat from while the person's inside. Like you can't actually eat the person, but but that they scream for mercy the whole time. And I want it to be red jam. And I want us like, I want the visiting team to win because I want those white jerseys covered in red jam. I want people to question their sanity. Like there was a Rick and Morty episode this season where like they kind of did this, you know, like you don't want to eat the, the, the food that they're all eating. Cause actually has a wonderful life story, but I kind of want them to go in a dark direction with it. But, that might not be, I guess, okay for TV or whatever, but uh, you know, that, that's my idea. Maybe Netflix can option it. Who knows? Um, <laughs> you know, before we slowly start wrapping up, because I don't know how long my voice can go here, but Andrew, I know we kind of, what are some of the, what are some of the headlines this week that have also got your attention? We've talked about some of the biggest stories, but uh, what are some of the ones that have hit you on the, hit, that piqued your interest? Well, I think uh, since we've been discussing a bit about the the whole FSU thing, I am just, uh, it was announced today that the judge in the FSU ACC case, um, which is up in Tallahassee court, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, is an FSU alum. So I cannot wait to see the ACC trying to call foul, as it were, uh, saying he, he has to recuse himself as a conflict of interest. Although I don't think attending the same university is uh, attending the university as one of the parties is a grounds for for required recusal. It typically isn't. It shouldn't be, but I can see why. And that judge is in a really pickle of a situation. If they rule against it, uh, if they rule against FSU in some way, I'm sure there's going to be some irrational fans who are going to be a bit of an annoyance hopefully just an annoyance but man messing with the judge don't recommend it if you have friends on twitter who are a little more irrational don't go after a judge that gets a little bit extreme and it goes i mean hell don't go after anybody but you're raising the stakes if you're going after a judge and and i'm talking like criminal stakes don't do it um so uh, but yeah, no, I, that's an unenviable position for whatever judge that's been assigned to that case. And then, uh, and just uh, just as another note, if you call for the recusal and it backfires, 
I'm not saying they do this officially, and I would never infer that uh, a judge would hold a bias against one of the parties. I would never infer that. But we are irrational beings. So you have to imagine that perhaps, potentially, I'm not inferring anything, that the judge may hold a little bit of a grudge against the ACC if they made the motion and he decided not to recuse himself or uh, it was found that he doesn't have to recuse himself, what have you. Um, and then I guess continuing on with Florida State, and as they go to the halftime show of the Kansas UNLV game, they are discussing Tate Rotomaker, uh, FSU's quote-unquote starting quarterback who's now transferring. But anyway, a lot of opt-outs on FSU's side uh, going into the Orange Bowl versus UGA, not so much. Um, so this is not going to be the hyped-up matchup that we were thinking. Um, it's kind of disappointing. I understand why the players are opting out, but you know, you were kind of hoping you had the defending national champion against the team that should have been in the playoff. Uh, both have something to prove, but uh, FSU is going to be a real shell of itself going into this game. Well, as I said, we're going to see a version of uh, FSU and a version of Georgia um, in many of these bowls. I mean, we're going to see very interesting versions. But, hey, you know, it'll still hopefully be a good game. Um, you know, one other thing I wanted to point out, this is more of a lighter note. Um, one of the funnier tweets, underrated, I don't know, underrated. God, I hate that word. People say the stupidest things like, did you know, like, Lawrence Olivier was underrated? Like, no, no, he wasn't. Or people, it's, it's code for, like, I'm too young to remember this. Like, an Oscar-nominated movie is suddenly underrated, and you're like, no, I, I do remember Schindler's List, or, you know, or something like that. But um, going back to uh, one of the funnier tweets this week was Ohio State. Their, uh, their social media person just doesn't know geography, so they announced that the team was arriving in Dallas for the, quote, duel in the desert, to the consternation of a lot of folks in the Metroplex, or people who just know geography, um, not sure if they thought they were going to play in the Fiesta Bowl. Not sure if they just hadn't been to Dallas before. But um, actually, somebody noticed their deleted tweet because they actually they initially misspelled desert. So it was a showdown in the dessert. Um, so they were kind of having a bad time at, uh, at Ohio State's social media team there. Not the worst error you can make, but I don't know. That's a lighter note. But as you can hear, my voice, which is already bad, is starting to completely conk out. Um, <laughs> I wanted to take a second to thank all of you who joined us for this Boxing Day edition, pound for pound, a fun conversation late at night here on, <coughs> oh my gosh, on the 26th. I'm Bob Eckayuri. I was joined by my co-host, Andrew Sagona. Excuse me. Hang in there, Bob Eck. You're almost oh there. Gosh. Almost there. I'm like crawling to the finish line here. Um, we always love it when you join us on Tuesday nights. We do these every Tuesday night, even if my voice is melting down. Um, this is RCFB Talk 172. Hope you all have a great rest of your holiday. Hope you enjoy some bowl games. There's a game going on right now. There's going to be games going on for a couple of days, and they're all going to be good. We love them all, and we thank you for joining us. Have a great night, everybody. I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>